everybody, and welcome to Break Legs. Today, we have a delight... Oh, hold on. Oh my god. I have to... <laughs> I have to turn up the gain on my microphone because I turned it down when I was playing Minecraft. Oh my god. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Break Legs. Today, we have an absolute treat, aka Serena's back, and we are envisioning and pitching an adaptation of another great intellectual property called... Uh, Scooby-Doo the Music of the Vampire, which is the best direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movie ever made, perhaps. When we were recording, we forgot to give any sort of plot summary for this film, so here's a plot summary. It's a musical where the Scooby-Doo gang go on vacation to a little town that does like a vampire festival because Velma gets to choose the destination. She wants to go to the vampire town. They meet this guy who writes vampire books, but nobody likes them because they're boring and everyone likes Twilight now. They meet a troupe of theater people who pretend to be vampires who perform a vampire summoning ritual. And then the guy who writes the vampire books is like, oh my God, oh no, they're gonna raise the real vampire that whose corpse is in the vampire museum in town and then it starts like messing with people there's some stuff with like town politics that's pretty boring shaggy and scooby meet an, a man a crazy man in the bayou daphne almost becomes the vampire's bride in an, yet another vampire ritual but in the end the spoilers by the way in the end it turns out that the guy who writes the vampire books is behind it all and they live happily ever after so yeah, we're going to talk about how we would go about adapting this into a, a live musical. Take it away, us. Okay. Are you ready? Very ready. Let's talk about Scooby-Doo Music of the Vampire. First of all, this is the best Scooby-Doo film ever made. Oh, unequivocally. like. So just like to get that out of the way. How recently have you watched this film? So not very recently. Most recently... <laughs> would have had to have been with you and I think that's been at least multiple years now mm. I did look up a plot synopsis so that I knew the characters names okay good I have the basic plot in my head but like I said character names that was not gonna happen without my little notes here so I watched this film quite soon after we came up with this episode idea the oh, first time yeah. which has been a couple weeks but as still- in more than two yeah but more recently than you have and I made notes good do you want my notes are chronological do you have any we can go chronological you think yeah I feel like maybe general overview like any big changes that were sticking out to us and then chronological through the movie maybe is the best system okay the first and biggest and most controversial say thing that I'll say this entire time I don't know that Scooby-Doo needs to be there oh (laughs) like I was really thinking about it and I was like does the Scooby gang actually like add all that much to this story? Because I don't think they're my highlight. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you proposing cutting the entire Mystery Inc. gang from this story, which is called Scooby Doo and the Music of the Vampire? Okay, I don't know that like we have to necessarily cut them in their entirety, but like, especially if we were actually trying to pursue this project, I just don't know that it has to be Scooby Doo. Like, is there a reason why it can't just be like, like, cut the whole cast down. There's just like two girls who go to this town. I'm just saying, like, what does Fred do that entire movie? This is very, you're right, this is controversial. This is, yeah, don't you? Shaggy and Scooby technically move the plot along a little bit. They do. Daphne's obviously very important. Velma's there. She's the reason that they go there. But like, 
maybe I just don't want Fred to be there because I literally cannot think of a thing that the man does in this entire. No, I like Fred. No, I mean I like Fred. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Obviously, like I don't necessarily know that that's the best course of action. I'm just saying I don't know that they have to be there. It's very interesting that you would say that because I think by removing the Scooby Doo element, number one, we're going to set ourselves up with what will feel like a knockoff of scooby-doo which this movie already comes dangerously close to feeling like in my opinion and i feel like i don't know i i think there would be something missing but maybe that's just because i like scooby-doo very much oh i mean i love scooby-doo i'm just saying like i said i'm not saying it's the best course of action necessarily i just don't think that they're necessary that's great they add something but i don't know that it's the lifeblood of the movie you know that's a very strong start and i appreciate you bringing that fire immediately out of the game oh yeah that's going to be the most interesting thing that I say this whole time. So I hope <laughs> really I hope that we milked that plenty. I was thinking about like, it's interesting that you say that actually, because I was thinking about like, oh my God, how do we put Scooby-Doo on stage? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is we don't. Because you can't, I, listen, I'm pro puppet in almost every situation, but weirdly I'm not pro puppet in this situation. Puppet Scooby-Doo I, feels like he would kill me. I feel like there's an art to puppetry that isn't appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> for scoop for scooby-doo to be I fair i do feel like most puppets would kill me so i don't know that it's specific, like a specific vendetta anyway yeah i just i feel like like scooby-doo is such a unique kind of entity within the entertainment world where like he's not a person but he also isn't like a creature in the same way that you make like creatures puppets in other shows i don't know there's just something yeah. very strange about him i don't know he, he doesn't would- work in any medium other than animation <laughs> yeah really it yeah, because I was going to say something about those god-awful live-action films, which are very good, but also god-awful. And then I was like, mm, Scooby-Doo is the worst part of those. So yeah, truthfully, no idea how we would put Scooby-Doo on stage. Can I be honest? The only thing that would that would really make me sad about that, about cutting the Mr. Inkring, is that we would lose the vacation song. I know that you feel worried that we'll come dangerously close to being a caricature of Scooby-Doo. But if we accept that we're already being a caricature of like seven other genres, perhaps maybe we're okay with that. In which case, I do, I do think you could work the vacation song into whatever story is introduced for this other gaggle of teens. Like if we almost lean into the fact that we're like gen- genericifying the Scooby-Doo gang. Yeah. I also think it'd be kind of fun to play into the thing that people do when they parody Scooby-Doo, where there's like a smaller, more manageable pet who plays a less important <laughs> role. Yeah. Like if the Shaggy's carrying around like Kim Possible style, like just a naked mole rat. Do you remember the bird from the Mr. Yank series? <laughs> that bird is weird. That entire series is weird. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that would be funny because that you could have like a like a um smaller, more animal-like animal puppet. And I think it would blend better. Yeah. Just like a Great Dane has a lot to have to deal with on stage. And he has to have such a presence. He has to have such a presence and also then be the only puppet in the entire show, which is like a hard thing to pull off. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I feel like you could kind of, that or, I like, I feel like if Scooby-Doo is there, he has to just be like a man crawling on his hands and feet. Like, <laughs> I feel like if we're trying to put Scooby-Doo in this movie, he's in this like theater production, it just has to be a man. Like it just, I think there it's you can go like, there is no Scooby or there's a 45 year old man crawling around the stage. Like a SpongeBob approach where we like right, put yeah. him in a, like a, bow tie with the tag on it yeah <laughs> I don't like that <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> I feel like those are our only two like good options I agree 
So maybe now hitting it from a chronological point, what was your first note? My first note reads <laughs> Phantom Style Fog Boat. <gasps> I'm already enchanted. <laughs> because the first scene is in the bayou. Yes, with Thule or whatever his name is. Yeah. I actually love that. I feel like that's the best way to really hit things on a good note and be like, this is what you're here for. And this is what you're getting. The boat comes out. The boat never comes out again. Well, maybe at the very end. I would say he ends the movie in the boat, I think. That's so. true. Yeah, I, I, you have completely sold me on that idea. That was- <laughs> it didn't even take selling. No, yeah, I was, I was with you immediately. I just said the idea and you were like, and you gasped aloud. I have some granular notes about like um, changing the beginning or like finding stage business for Briar Breeze that I think are not interesting content. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can skip those. Well, like just kind of my general approach to the beginning would be I like having Thule in the boat, introducing it. I don't feel like the like narrator who end who like begins and ends the story is always effective, but I do feel like it kind of worked for this one. So like I, I like him. I do feel like you run into the awkward thing of like every Scooby Doo movie starts with them ending their last like quote unquote hunt, but I do feel like that's a kind of big commitment for like a theater adaptation to try to have to have like set character and yeah. devoted to this like whole other thing. So I don't know exactly how I'd want to approach that if you just want to do like a super fast and loose kind of approach. I made some kind of note about this. Okay, yeah, you're right. So the opening of this movie is they're in the sewer and they like fight a roach monster. It's like the tail end of that, which comes after Bayou Breeze. And I made a note about like cutting Bayou Breeze and opening on that, possibly in song format a la Camp Scare or opening with the song and maybe cutting down the road sheet or cutting it completely because I feel like especially if we're leaning into if theoretically yeah if we're doing if we're doing a non-specific teenage (laughs) crime fighting gang yeah I think we can definitely get away with almost like um the opening to monster in Mexico where they all just like get an email (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yes let's let's do am messages like evan hansen style uh, text <laughs> popping up in the background not evan hansen <laughs> no we will not be borrowing anything from evan hansen ever <laughs> i wrote down vacation song stays completely intact it's perfect oh good yeah here's another reason it's so, like i love that number another reason why i feel like it's okay to um maybe have this be a non-specific teenage crime fighting game is that like I adore this movie, but the characterization of the actual Scooby-Doo gang all over the place, almost <laughs> completely inconsistent with anything that you have seen before or after this movie. Like, I don't know the mechanics of like who was writing for this and if they ever wrote anything else for Scooby-Doo, but like they were not on the same page as everyone else ever involved in this universe. And I well, really appreciate that. They but, do sort of, they could, they know. include the bare essentials, but they definitely weren't quite in line. Cause like there's eras of Scooby-Doo, right? And this was in the era with like the more modern straight to DVD movies, a little bit off tilt. <laughs> there was a brief interlude here for technical difficulties. We'll resume now. Anyway, <laughs> what was the last thing we were talking about? Oh, you were talking about the characterization, which I thought might be a good time to bring up our film theory do you remember this <laughs> yes i do <laughs> that in this movie specifically and only this movie that daphne and shaggy are dating yes <laughs> which we came up with 
oh, I don't know, up to eight years ago. Possibly nine. We got this movie pretty soon after it came out. We did? Yeah. And for the viewer at home, this is the this is the grounds for this theory, okay? Daphne sits in the back of the mystery machine. That's all. There's a little bit more. I would like <laughs> slightly more. Okay, um, what's the rest? Don't ask me for any kind of evidence. Vibes alone. <laughs> Vibes alone. No, but realistically, so Daphne, who never, ever, 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 literally cannot think of another time that she sits in the back of the mystery machine unless they're like all back there for some reason, sits in the back and it's like never addressed. Never addressed. Nobody ever says anything about why she has to sit in the back. Velma at one point is driving the mystery machine. So there is like a little bit of switching of roles. But there's no reason she can't be in the front. But it doesn't make sense why Daphne's not in the front. Then also, like, there's some other weird stuff where there's, like, obvious tension because Daphne has a love interest in this movie in the form of Bram, who I cannot wait to get to, (laughs) um, who's, like, a vampire actor. And so, like, that leads to some tension with Fred, but it also just, like, they seem very off-kilter the whole movie. That's true. not, like, in, like, like, a good comparison, I kind of feel like, is in um, Scooby Abracadabra Do, when Fred is supposed to be kind of in love with Crystal, the magician's assistant, and Daphne is like really playing up that she wants like to impress Fred. And there's like a lot of focus on that aspect of their relationship. And there's a lot of playing up of the fact that like Fred isn't actually really interested in Crystal because he's just like kind of being adult. Like, I don't know. It just feels like they gave a lot more dimension to the dynamic between the two of them there. And in this movie, they're just very, like, tense. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just a completely, a completely, there's no evidence for it anywhere kind of thing. But I believe it in my soul. Me too. So, um, we're, that's canon in ours. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll find a way to work it in. Can we talk about the Mr. Machine? Oh, what would you like to say? I'm concerned about it. That's what I would like to say. <laughs> Again, I kind of feel like the best approach is just the simplest, most elementary school approach, which is just, I'm picturing big cardboard cutouts. I was thinking about that. And I was like, is it too and they're like, just like glib? But I think we need to lean into that. Yeah, I feel like it's okay. If, especially because like I said, like we get, we'll get into it a little bit later on. But like, Already, this entire movie, like right off the bat, is making fun of the idea of Twilight. It's making fun of the idea of like any theater troupe ever. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's already kind of mocking. And so I feel like mocking itself a little bit in terms of just like holding a cardboard, cut it of the car, and all chugga chugga chugging. Like, I don't feel like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. There's something they do in Groundhog Day, the musical, where when they get in the van, there's like a tiny little van that comes on stage and we're just meant to like understand that they're that's where it. they are yeah <laughs> which I think is another viable option. I would also yeah I'd be okay with that I feel like that could be fun because technically in the vacation song they're like plummeting off of cliffs yeah I do think it's a little bit fun to just have like the Velma character who's meant to be driving just absolutely destroying this tiny little van that she's <laughs> supposed to be understanding that they're in and Fred's just dying. Yeah, just screaming. I feel like there's not enough. Something we could add. Is it Abracadabra do the one where he keeps seeing the vision of it exploding? No, no, no. no. That is the Frankenstein one. That's um, the Frankenstein one. I don't remember its name, but it's the one where they go to Velma's family village in Germany. 
Yeah. Or technically, I think they say it's Transylvania. Of course Uh, it is. And yeah, at like the beginning, the mystery machine is blown up and Fred keeps having increasingly intense like visions of it being destroyed until eventually like an atom bomb is dropped on it. (laughs) Yeah, I just think we need more, especially since Velma is driving. I think Fred is suspiciously chill about it. Oh yeah, I mean, he's kind of freaking out in the movie, but I don't think he freaked out enough. Yeah, I agree. I, I do really like the idea of leaning strongly into the fact that Daffy and Fred were never supposed to be the greatest like love match of Scooby-Doo. It was always, always, always supposed to be Fred in the car. Like, <laughs> you're so right. Like, if we want to talk about actual best couple, that's that. I wrote down, this might be slightly relevant. I wrote down a note. We are not aiming for quality. It is already perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like what you have to do with this story is to lean, like, you have to lean into it because it's not going to be like an art piece. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of the, like, choices that I'm kind of advocating for is, like, if you're coming at this and thinking, how do I put together like a well done, you know, show that really like teaches lessons and hits like emotional cores of humanity, maybe could potentially be up for an Oscar someday in a movie adaptation, like you're in the wrong field. (laughs) We are so far from anything that should be hitting any of those notes. Okay. Can we... Do you have anything to say before we move on to the vampire troop? Not really. There's not much that happens before that. They just kind of get to the town and they meet the Jasper guy. Yeah, um, that's his name. Let me go back to my wiki article. No, it doesn't matter. No, what no. His name is. Jasper is the mayor. That's who I'm oh, thinking. Oh yeah, Jasper Kubel. Jasper Kubel is the mayor slash anti vampire guy, and then Vincent Van Helsing is the vampire out there. Okay, well, let's talk about the vampires then. I yeah. feel like. This is a very fun opportunity for many reasons. Yeah. Number one, making fun of theater people. Oh, yeah. Which it already leans into, and we can lean into even more. Any opportunity to bully them, yes. Number two, audience interaction. (gasps) Yes. Because there's all this stuff where they, like, fly into the audience, and they, like, get up in people's faces. Do you think... um, I was thinking about where the gang would like sit because I think in this case the stage can just become the stage. Yeah, I do. Feel like- <laughs> I was thinking, about, do you know in the fit of the opera where they like have that box? Oh my gosh, yes, box number five. <laughs> yeah, or like they could be in the front row or something, but we wouldn't be able to see them. So um, we need a box, I guess. Yeah, I do feel like the ideal form is to definitely have them in some kind of box, or even if you could just on the very edge of what the stage actually is, construct a little like tower essentially for them to go sit in and have that be the box. Yeah. So that they're still visible. But I am I am definitely picture like in the performance that Fagan Shans does, like they're like already coming out of the seats in the audience. So I'm like definitely picturing like everybody's coming to the stage from a bunch of different places. Like Yeah, I love that stuff. My dream uh-huh. is aerials, but I don't think it'll happen. Like being realistic with ourselves, if we've already accepted that the cardboard cutout van is happening, <laughs> I don't think we have the budget for like cables, but. I think I, Bram has to be on flies though. Yeah. I think we just have to accept that that's where the entire budget goes, I guess. Yeah. Like that's. Well, this is our dream. Why can't we be rich in the dream? Okay, sure. <laughs> You're right. I, I can't see I mean, it without him. Dream of wealth. Because like a good little communist, you know, I'm not, my dream is not profiting off the labor of others, but 
I'll, I'll, I'll amend that for Scooby-Doo Music of the Vampire. Okay, here's something that I think is a huge missed opportunity in the film, mm-hmm. which is that the vampire summoning ritual is not a song. Oh, yes, I agree. We got to do something about that. In my yeah. mind, it sounds like something that could come out of the soundtrack of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh. Like very like choir. It's got the DSRA in it yes. or something. Yeah, no, I'm on a very, sorry. For a minute when you said that, I was thinking like, um, not Hellfire, more Out There or God Help the Outcast. And I was like, interesting approach to go with this <laughs> music. I'm back with you now. Yeah. Okay. Very like <laughs> Gregorian, like. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be altered that much because like in the, in the movie, they do have like a rhythmic chant that they're doing. It's yeah. just not fully set to music and not like fully realized. So I think it's, I think it would be very easy to take the lyrics that they use. Um, yeah. The joke about getting this vampire summoning ritual off the internet 100% has to stay. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm suggesting we copy the entire movie script over, but that line must be This movie is pretty funny. Honestly. Good. A lot of the jokes are solid and I feel like we can keep them. I wrote down, do you remember the blonde woman? Alita? Sure. I don't know any of their names. Bram is the only person whose name I know. The blonde woman. I wrote down. It's off of it? Yeah. Yeah. It struck me like a lightning bolt. I have two casting options for this woman and maybe it's a little early to be talking about casting. <laughs> but my two thoughts. Here are my two thoughts. They're they're really good, so prepare yourself. Okay. Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, okay. Amber Gray. Oh. Two very, very strong choices. Thank you. And I'm not mad at either of them. Thank you. So there's that. I love the blonde woman. I think, like, how important do you think the mayor plot is to all of it? Because I almost could see us, like, he's, I feel like he's less interesting than the blonde woman is. Well, so, like, the whole mayor subplot where he's, like, supposed to be running for office does not matter to me at all. Yeah. The anti-vampire plot is important to me. I just love the way that this movie borders on being, like, the vampires are being like prejudiced against and they're racist against <laughs> vampires. Like the way that we almost hit that note of like, it could happen to anybody. Bias is real. Like in a sort of zombies way. Yes. In a very like clumsy, like, well, there's no black people in this movie, but they do hate vampires. Like, I <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> I, it's very funny. Yeah. So like, I don't really care that he's like, running for office. I don't really care about him as a person. I do care about having like, I don't know, just the controversial, like, angry mob element of it. Yeah. So maybe he stays. I think he stays, but I just think pare down what he has. Because, like, if you remember in the movie, there's, this, like, whole thing where they break into his trailer because they think he might be... I don't be care about that. Somebody I feel at- like we can put less effort into actually constructing, like, a mystery with clues and red herrings and more effort into, like, a wacky fun time. I was about to say, like, I feel like... Nobody even needs to be trying to solve the vampire mystery. Like, <laughs> We're all just living in it. I think it should come more from a place of like, our, our Scooby-Doo gang slash Scooby-Doo gang, gang stand-in is not like trying to solve a mystery so much as they're like, how do I not get killed by a vampire? That's so funny. So it's more like, like, like a wacky, like horror light film. Yeah, than... like it's more of like a horror movie approach of like, I'm trying to not get killed versus like, I really want to get to the bottom of this. Like- they don't care. Yeah. We're just, we just have a bunch of fun, zany characters. Yeah. This is also a weird, specific thing, but do you remember the security guard who gets tased? Yes. I, I want to see more of him. 
I don't know where that came from. No, I can consent to seeing more of him. I just also really enjoy the joke about the taser wound looking like vampire bites. Yeah. <laughs> That's just funny as well. I have no idea what it actually looks like if you tase someone, by the way. Like, Me I don't either. know if it would theoretically look like a vampire bit you, but I don't care. Reality's not real. Do you think, okay, this might be a fun aside to have for a minute. Can we brainstorm any ways to make Van Helsing interesting? You know what? I was just about to say another highly controversial thing that I feel like could play into this. What? Does the vampire have to be fake? (laughs) You're proposing a zombie island situation. Just saying. You're proposing a Scooby-Doo alien invader situation. Two standout films amongst the Scooby-Doo franchise, might I add. (laughs) I'm just saying. What if he just did summon a vampire? Like, <laughs> How does this show end if there's a real vampire? Redemption for Van Helsing. He has to help them get rid of the vampire. He becomes oh. the real Van Helsing. All right. You know what? That does sound pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, I just say. So, ooh, this is... So in this case, he's the one who summoned the vampire. I think you could go either way. Okay. I think you could say that he did intentionally summon the vampire. I think you could also say that it's a real mix em up by the vampire group <laughs> in an effort to further mock theater people for their um, refusal to care about anyone else but them. <laughs> um, and ruining the lives of others by inadvertently summoning a vampire, which is just, you know, an allegory for the fact that at every party they'll pull out the fight choreo from Romeo and Juliet and oh make you watch it. Like, so I, I feel like it could go either way. It's sort of like almost a Macbeth tribute also, (laughs) isn't it? Yes. (laughs) We're just really pulling it all in. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Very compelling proposal. I must admit I'm on board. (laughs) Okay. Do you remember the song where they sing four different overlapping parts? Vampires. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That song, while an extremely rudimentary example, is like such a, like, it has such a strong musical theater energy. Oh, yeah. Also, like, perfect act one ender. Yeah, that's so true. I also think that I wrote down that Scooby and Me, do you remember, like, the one they sing in the woods? Yes. It should be a tap number. (gasps) I don't know how the dog is tap dancing. Maybe it's a bird now or a rat or something. So that could be a whole other interesting situation. I love that I hate puppets and I'm very scared of puppets on stage, but my immediate thought for that was, okay, so even if it's not like this for the rest of the movie, man tap dances out in rat suit for the number, man tap dances off and we don't see the rat again and the rest of the time it's just a normal sized rat, but for the tap dance number, full sized rat. Serena, it's like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when they have the big squirrel. Yeah, like I don't know why I am very afraid of puppets, but not at all afraid of men in large, poorly constructed animal costumes. (laughs) Okay, I think we've chronologically reached the duet, the tango. Yes. Which is... um, The best part of the entire movie. Yeah, another very strong contender. I must admit, in terms of pure quality, this song trails behind some of the other ones. Oh, yeah. However... The whole situation is so perfect. I do actually feel like this, oddly enough, is one of the songs that I would suggest rewriting, like revisiting, Mm -hmm. only because it's like a really compelling idea, you know? Like the whole 
thought process behind like the vampire tango that she's doing where yeah. he's promising to turn her into a vampire because he plans to actually like double cross her and give her to the vampire king like absolutely but I, I I agree with you that the song itself is just like very simplistic I don't know why that happened but like I feel like we could rewrite it to make it more of like an actually strong song and I feel like it's one of the songs that deserves that you know what I mean yeah I agree I think we could ver- we could sort of recontextualize Bram a little bit as like do you know that post that's like come into my labyrinth nothing bad will happen <laughs> smiling dishonestly <laughs> I do not but I agree no. with <laughs> but it's that energy yeah I do actually so like as much as I love Bram in the movie who is a guy who is a theater kid gone wild <laughs> ultimately is led astray by a fat old man pretending to be a vampire king like as much as that's really really funny in this universe where there is a real vampire I do also feel like it calls for some recontextualizing of Bram because he is now literally like a vampire slave yeah master like you can kind of make him more sinister in that way I agree um I made a note that a lot of the songs in this I think because they were working with a cast that was not a cast necessarily of singers a lot of the songs are like very much within speaking range and I think a lot of them can benefit from being brought up a little bit Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, kind of pushing the extremes on either ends of the songs. Yeah. I don't think the singing is going to be the best thing in this show, nor do I need it to be. But um, no, I see what you mean in terms of just like, it's the push that makes it from a direct-to-DVD animated cartoon musical into like something which is designed to be put on the stage. Yeah. Okay. We're now reaching the Bayou section. I think everything Thule does is perfect in this movie and we don't need to change it. He's so, he is not there for very long, but every second of his presence is used fully to the max. Yeah. When they were like, oh, not only is he just a creepy old man in the bayou, he's an inventor. I was like, that's what this story was missing. And when he's in, when they're like, oh my God, how long ago did all this happen? He's like three weeks ago. (laughs) And he's like completely deteriorated. I do also feel like if Valdroni is a real vampire, totally in addition to Van Helsing, can get a little bit of an upped role in terms yeah. of buying them with the stuff that they use to fight the vampire. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. The eating, like how Shaggy and Scooby eat stuff. Yes. Now you have opened a road where we don't have to deal with this if we, in our transition to non-specific teenage crime fighting gang, if we happen to lose this aspect. Oh, I don't think we can. You don't think we can? So- like, what is the amount of food that you can make an actor actually eat on stage before it's horrible, you know? Oh, I think almost zero. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think it very quickly goes wrong. I am kind of seeing, again, like, we've accepted that this is not really aiming for, like, quality practical effects. I'm seeing some kind of mechanism in which, like, our Shaggy character, for instance, is holding a giant sandwich. Uh-huh. The sandwich is like a solid top piece, solid bottom piece, like accordion style ham and cheese and like let like whatever. Like paper in the middle. Kind of the classic like slap it down, throw it behind you because you didn't actually kind of moment. (laughs) (laughs) Like like that's really good. Like we're not blatantly gonna be just be like, and now I'm gonna pretend to eat this food by just tossing it behind me. But like not far from that either. But we also could do that. 
And we also could do that. And I think we could change the reality in which that would be okay. If we make it a running joke, then anything's allowed. Yeah. That's really funny. And I think that could be, we could also play with the puppet aspect. Oh, as in yeah. Like, eat this boy. And it's just like not even moving. I love that. Okay. I think we're reaching the climax of the film, which is the vampire, the whole, that whole situation. Oh, yeah. You know, the vampire. The plot um, of the movie. Yeah, I wrote down that the vampire song that they sing at the end, the ritual song should be like a reprise of the summoning song, or we just use that song to draft the summoning song on, um, because it makes sense that they would be similar. I wrote down fog effects in big letters, so there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is a good talking point. Oddly, in this movie, there is not a traditional chase scene. It kind of is fine without one but if we're leaning into like making a joke of it it might almost be worth it to add one because it's such an iconic thing yeah it's also been riffed on a thousand times I'm not mad at a like literally people are running completely across the stage style chase like just a quick one yeah just to put a smile on everyone's face it's like don't they do that in Solvit Squad I think they do. I also feel like it serves as kind of a good transition because like something we haven't talked about a lot is that like this would require some like fairly involved set pieces. Yeah. There's so many distinct locations. So like if that serves as what's distracting you while we transition from like I'm picturing just like scattered bushes and the fog effect for like them entering the bayou into like putting on stage the big ritual square kind of thing I feel like that kind of gives you some options yeah I made a note about if we want to add to the runtime there are I feel like there might be a lot of opportunities for more music because in the long run there's not that many songs in this yeah and I do feel like they're very kind of first act heavy like yeah a lot of establishing songs and then there's a whole long chunk of like just walking around and I feel like if we're leaning into the like the the more like character base less mystery I do not believe that Tooley has a song when he talks about his like sorrows. Oh my god, you're he right. Shaggy and Scooby, and oh I think god. he deserves one. I feel like Tooley needs to. He can occupy the same space as okay in Frozen on the stage. I believe Act Two begins with a whole song that the guy in the um the like shop with the sauna sings. I feel like he's occupying oh. a similar space to that. Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely feel that. And I know, listen, I do think that mediocre musicals have a problem where they will like suddenly everything will grind to a halt so we can have a song be sung by a random character that never matters again. Like, I feel like a lot of musicals have done that. However, I think um, this is an excusable instance. (laughs) Well, I do feel like it kind of thematically makes sense for Act 2 to open with Thule, who opens Act 1 and finishes the show. Yeah, that's so true also. It continues his use as like a framing device. Yeah. I was going to say another big like gaping maw in terms of the music is that Velma and Fred do not ever sing. Like they sing in the vacation song. (laughs) That's true. And then maybe they're in that big group number. And then I don't think they sing at any other point. And I don't know if like. I don't think they're even in that big group number. I don't think they are, but like. I, there's no other place that they would sing so I think they might literally only sing in the Frank in like the um vacations I didn't think about that and like it's weird too because Frank Welker sings for multiple other characters so it's not like Frank Welker was opposed to singing they just could not come up with anything for Fred that could be I, just think, I don't know where the songs go 
but it's a disservice that they but don't. it's weird that they don't yeah. yeah okay do you have a vision for no i already asked you that question i was gonna say do you have a vision for how this ends given your real vampire thing and then i remember that you already told me you're good they just realistically <laughs> fight a vampire they just fight a vampire cash and defeat it and it's not even a big deal somebody could die if you really wanted like we could make it i don't think that's appropriate (laughs) given the atmosphere we've created who would die taser boy (laughs) (laughs) he's my favorite exactly that's why you should die to keep us keep him in our hearts so they end up they fight a vampire and they do great and it ends do you think it still ends with a reprise of the vacation song no i feel like we need something a little more powerful Mm. we have just killed a literal vampire in this instance <laughs> right so I feel like we need more like something that speaks to you know I said we're not trying to like teach anybody any lessons with this but I do think we need maybe just like a hey that was a kind of intense and we came together so like good on us kind of thing I it's feel like, like a feel-good finale yeah like a feel-good finale it is I do think this would be fun on the stage because the songs are like so deeply perfectly musical theater genre musical theater the scene right now you're seeing a lot of fusion like that's like shows tend to have a lean towards a particular style that like infuses into like the musical theater conventions that it also uses yeah like and this is just straight down the barrel (laughs) yeah which i really appreciate like i said if you're trying to put together like a really successful soundtrack which is something that people will come back to or think like, man, that was like really good choices. You get Hades Town. That's not what we're trying to do here. Like, right. They're like, it sounds like what people who don't like show tunes think show tunes sound like. Yes. This is a good question. Um, that's really funny. I preface my own question by saying this is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question. What a self-confident queen. This is, that's an interesting, okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think, how do you feel about the ages of the actors who are playing the teens? Because I don't think they should look that young. Let's be clear. While there are a few things throughout like the Scooby-Doo mythos, which tries to convince us that these are teenagers, functionally and in every other way, they have never once behaved as teenagers. The only time that you really get like an actual teen representation of them is in that really bad live action remake that happened in the... (laughs) Like or Velma turns into a witch. The girl from Lemonade now. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the only time I can think of that they're really convincingly portrayed as like actually literally being teens. Besides Mystery Inc., I guess is also one where they make it kind of clear that they're teenagers. Yeah. They act fully functionally as adults. So I feel like it's completely okay to cast somebody who's just clearly an adult because they kind of clearly are adults. This is very interesting to hear you say this because my stance was also going to be we can cast someone who is clearly an adult in sort of almost a Putnam way Uh where like part of the joke is that they're it's like in the Lightning Thief musical when Chris McCarroll goes but me I'm only 12 years old and everyone laughs (laughs) and like I definitely I don't feel like that's a wrong approach like making fun of the fact that they're supposed to be teenagers I also feel like it's valid because again the source material so often forgets that they're supposed to be teenagers and so I think it's completely okay to mock that I was just saying like quite literally there's the the story does not rely on the idea that they're teenagers because if you make them 30 the story doesn't change at all yeah it doesn't matter 
So like, I just feel like it leaves a really open casting audience. Like I said, I'm not throwing Patrick Page into any of these spots, but like, I don't if feel Patrick, like- Patrick, hold on. <laughs> if Patrick Page was one of the Mystery Ink gang, who would he be? I do kind of feel like Shaggy. And I don't know if that's just because I want to see him play someone who's not a villain. And I feel like Shaggy is almost like an anti-villain. I was going to say, that's why it's a hard question is because he's always typed as a villain. So it's weird to put him into the hero role. Anyway. Anyway. This was a great discussion. It was. Do you have any last words before I kill you? Come quiet. <laughs> Alternative. Bad choice. No, not really. I do have um, I do have a TikTok that I need to send you. It makes fun of Evan Hansen slash Ben Platt. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Okay, thanks. Okay. Well, I'll do the outro separately. Okie dokie. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, our our genius conversation. Just as like a quick update on the state of this podcast, you may have noticed a pattern recently, which is that I don't release episodes on a regular schedule anymore. I don't want to like give excuses about it because like who cares anyway? And that's just like annoying. All I will say is that sometimes the motivation is not there and I don't do it. And that's my fault. Also, thank you to uh, my beloved Cameron, who you know from the Elevator Pitch Day episode, uh, for suggesting a Halloween special, which is what this episode was originally intended to be. Week late, no big deal. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at BrightLeaksPod or email me at BrightLeaksPodcast at gmail.com. I hope everyone has a wonderful day! Exclamation point heart emoji. Bye!